We're going to look at the first 13 verses of this uh, chapter together. And as you're turning there or booting up, whatever it is, uh, I wanted to remind you that if you need a tagline to understand this book, it is this. Uh, Jesus is described as having the power of an indestructible life. And to believe in him and to realize that he's the one that defines your life means that through Jesus, you too can have an indestructible life. The power of an indestructible life. Because his power and who he is comes into us as we believe. And that means this morning that as we're thinking about this, in particular you might have noticed already, that Jesus is the one that provides rest for our souls. So here we go. Let's listen to this. Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear lest any of you should, be, should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted. Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now before I pray, just want you to know this passage in particular in the book in general can sometimes be a little bit hard to follow. Uh, when you read this book, it's not always a straight line, and you probably noticed that this morning. Uh, the author oftentimes picks up uh, a dot from this part of the Bible and another snippet here and a concept there and an idea over here, and then he shows how they're all related and how everything is connected. And so this morning, if, if, I, if my reading uh, through this passage with you was a little confusing, that's what he's doing. He's taking a dot here, dot there, snippet here, idea there, and then he's showing how everything's connected. So that's what we're going to try to do. So let's ask the Lord uh, and see if he can help us understand his word. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord in heaven, we thank you for being present. We thank you for being with us. We thank you that you are here. 
We ask, Lord, that you would help us as we're in your presence to know more of your thoughts, to understand who we are, and to be enabled by your grace to live in a way that shows that what you say is true. Lord, keep us from thinking we're here to get little uh, five steps on how to make our life better. Help us to learn and grow that we're here to be transformed. We're here to be changed and to constantly change. So Lord, have your way with us. Uh, Help us to think. Help us to wrestle even with things in our own lives. And as always, Holy Spirit, would would you bring us to Jesus? Would you help us by making him irresistible afresh? We pray this. We pray this with confidence. We pray this with hope. Because we're praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning I get to talk with you about something that I really need in my own life. Um, Get to talk to you about something that uh, I have grown in. But there are, um, there are lots of areas of my life where I need more of this. And if you're wondering what it is, it's, it's this. Our hearts need rest. Dave's heart needs rest. Um, the way that, that I respond to the health things I've had going on over the last couple years, it's been a lot more restlessness than rest. The way that I respond to things in my life is oftentimes just very restless. I wonder if you can relate in some way or another. Whether you have your own health things that come into your life or whether you have family issues, whether you have work issues, whether you have uh, just unexpected challenges in your life, um, whether things don't go according to your plan. I wonder if your response to those things is like mine more often just restlessness. Because this passage is telling us that our hearts need rest. That's the point. If you wanna know what we're talking about this morning, it's, it's that. Our hearts need rest. And as we're trying to think about that idea of that, the reality that our hearts need rest, I, we're gonna take three stops, make three stops on our journey today. The first one is this. Rest is about relationship. Second, we're all searching for rest. And third, the process of rest. So our hearts need rest. First thing we're gonna think about together from this passage is that rest is about relationship. Then we're gonna think about we search, we're all searching for rest. And then thirdly, we're gonna think together about the process of rest. So you ready to jump in? Everybody okay where we're going this morning? Well, shouldn't say that because you might not be okay. Some of us like being restless. Some of us like to worry a lot. So I get it. That was a bad question to ask. But let's think together about our hearts need rest and start with this. Rest is about relationship. You know, if you're willing, let's turn the clock way back because this passage, when you look at it closely, actually summons us to go all the way back to the beginning when we think about rest. And if you notice in verse three and four, And turning back the clock all the way to the beginning, it starts talking about rest and it describes God having rested on one day after he created. Do you see that? After God created, he rested on the seventh day. 
that in God, the pattern of his existence is he created and then he rested. So if you want to start with rest, we got to go all the way back to the beginning and think about God himself and how God exists and functions. Then if you notice in the text, there's talk about this guy named Joshua. See, it fast forwards a lot of time. And Joshua was the guy that God used to escort his people into the promised land. They had been in bondage in Egypt, and God's activity was to bring them out of Egypt and to deliver them into a land that he had promised them. And Joshua was that guy. And so Joshua brings people into the land of promise, and notice what the text says. That they had rest, but there was still something more that was promised. There was another form of rest still to come, of which entering into the land was a type of rest, but it wasn't complete. And then you see David mentioned in this passage. And if you look closely around verse 7, it says something really remarkable. God specifically spoke through David in this way to tell us that there was a further rest to come. You see, David writes the psalm about 400 years after Joshua and God's people entered the land. So there's a rest at creation, there's a rest in entering the land, and there is still a rest yet to come that God is promising through, the, through, the King, through King David. So that we end in verse 9, where it says this, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Today, there exists still a rest, a Sabbath rest for God's people. That's why if you look in verse one of this chapter, it starts off by telling you that this idea of rest is a literal promise from God. God has promised his people rest. So that should get you thinking about, hmm, so rest is about relationship. I see what God has done. I can think about what happened with Joshua, still promise of rest coming. David, still a promise of rest coming. God telling me that there is still yet, there remains a rest for us, a Sabbath rest. And that a, a, a one is yet to come and this is all part of God's promise? Yes. And if you start to process what God is saying through those things, you'll even understand more fully about rest is about relationship. And what it means to rest is this. When God talks about rest in the scriptures, rest is not inactivity. We like to think rest is inactivity. We like to think that rest is um, that thing I get to do when I go on vacation. I, I get to be around people that I don't know, so I don't have to talk to them or do anything. You know, I don't really have any responsibility now, and that is rest. That's how we like to think about rest, isn't it? Rest is about me getting out of here. Rest is about me working really, really hard, working myself to the bone to where I really have to go somewhere else and then uh, disconnect from all responsibility and just sit on the couch all day or swim all day or go to the mountain or hiking all day, whatever it is. That's how we think about rest. But that's not what God's talking about. That's not what he means by rest. You see, rest is actually a rhythm of life. Remember creation? God worked six, and what did he do? Rested one. 
If you want to understand rest, you have to understand this, that rest is a rhythm of our lives. It needs to be a rhythm of my life and your life, that you need to work six and rest one, that you're not working 24-7, 365, that you actually are patterning your life in this rhythm of working and using the skills God has given you and then setting it down, resting. Quick caveat, there are seasons of your life where you're not gonna be able to do that. You live in a broken world, it's terrible, it's awful. Back to reality, back to this. You need to fight for rhythm. Fight for rest. Here's what else, it's not just rhythm. What did God do after he rested? What did he say about his creation? It was good. You see, here's the next thing about rest, is that rest is not just a rhythm. It is a satisfaction and delighting in something. When God looked at creation, he didn't say, eh. He looked at creation, and he set down his work of creating and putting things in process. He set it down, and he said it was good. He was delighting in what he created. Do you see? So if you want to have rest in your heart, if Dave needs more rest in my heart, I need rhythm, and I need to put down things that I spend my skills and time working on and laboring in. I need to set it down. And then, because of God, I need to say, Lord, because of you, I did the best I could. And set it down and delight in it. You know what I have a tendency to do with my work? Pick it apart. Should have done this, should have done that. Wish I had said this, wish I How could I forget to say this? Happens every single week. But if I want to grow and rest, I need to put something down and delight in my work. Put it down. Say I did the best I could. In faith, trusting in God, best I could. Here's what else. It's not just rhythm and satisfaction and delight. Think about what God bringing his people into the promised land meant for rest. It meant fulfillment. It, it, meant, it meant having a sense of, of being fulfilled. That when God's people entered the promised land, the moment that they stepped into the land that God told them to go into, and remember, he told them, you're gonna live in houses that you didn't build, you're gonna drink from water, the wells you didn't dig, you're gonna enjoy the produce and, and fruit of the vine and everything, that you didn't do anything with that, I'm providing all that to you. And God's people would go into the promised land, and they could say, God fulfilled his word. And that means in our lives, if we want to grow and rest, we need to know God's word, and when we see it and experience it, we ought to say, Lord, thank you for fulfilling what you said. And in knowing that God will do what he says creates this sense of being fulfilled in us. And the last part of rest in the scripture we see it as it's said there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God in verse one that this was a promise uh, it's anticipatory that when, when we have a rhythm of working six and resting one, when we have the habit of putting something down and delighting in it, when 
when we are looking for God's word to be fulfilled, and when we have that sense of fulfillment, it should create in us a sense of anticipation that something is yet to come. Because God has kept his word, because we are patterning our lives after the way God exists and functions, there's something greater for us yet to come. There's a greater rest to come. And I can't go into all of it this morning, but I'll tell you this. The greater rest that is yet to come means that we're not gonna live life as if uh, the parachute pops out and we're running all the time. You know what I mean? You ever tried to run with a parachute behind you? It's not easy. In other words, the greater rest that's yet to come is the day in which sin will be no more and death no more and the curse will be gone. And do you know what rest will look like for all eternity? Work and rhythm and delighting in and fulfillment. You get it? It's beautiful. Rest is about relationship. Well, that leads us to our second stop. We're all searching for rest. You know, last week, Chad started us in this section with uh, Hebrews 3, verse 7 through verse 19. And remember, he told us that that section is picturing for us uh, God's faithfulness and his people's unfaithfulness. Do you remember this? And that unfaithfulness of his people is expressed oftentimes by relating to God through um, grumbling, complaining, like living life with just having this constant sense of grumbling and complaining. Living life but having the sense of, oh, I need to bargain with God to get what I want. Uh, living life thinking that, well, maybe living life and focusing more on what we think God isn't doing than what he is doing. Unfaithfulness looks like all those things. Anybody ever struggle with grumbling or complaining? You look back over this past week, did you complain about a single thing? Did you grumble about anything? Did you think to yourself, man, we've got to find a way to bargain this out, work this out? Did you have the slightest temptation to think about what God isn't doing in your life or in the world rather than what he is and what he has? Well, that's what Chad talked about last week. And guess what? This section is, it's all part of the same section. The same thing is here. It continues. Look how many times that Psalm 95, which was talked about and quoted last week, continues to be quoted this week. Do you see it? Over and over and over. The same thing continues into our section today, except today there's just a little bit of a finer point put on our unfaithfulness. And if you look at verse two and verse three and verse six, it tells you unbelief. Unfaithfulness looks like unbelief. It looks like disobedience. Unfaithfulness to God looks like unbelief. And the word that really makes us pop is in verse two. Look, the author says, they heard the good news just like us. Did you notice that? In other words, the gospel was preached in the Old Testament. The message of Jesus was there in the Old Testament. They heard the good news just like we did, but what they heard was not mixed with faith because they didn't see that it would benefit them. How about that? You know what makes unbelief pop is thinking about this idea of benefit. 
well, I'm just not sure what God wants for me is going to benefit me in the way that I want, right? Unbelief can sound so far out there. And then you start breaking it down into brass tacks, and you start realizing, oh, yeah, a lot of times I think about God in terms of a cost-benefit analysis. And as long as it benefits me, I'm all in. Oh, but it has to benefit me in the way that I need it to benefit me. Benefit. You see, oftentimes we feel as though we can benefit more from everything else other than God. Oftentimes we live our lives as if this benefits me far more than what God says. So I think I'm going to roll with that. Not quite sure that what God says and what he, who he is is actually going to benefit me enough. See? It's talking about the same thing. God is ever faithful. He desires rest for us. And we're just thinking about, you know what? If I'm going to get ahead, I need to work seven days a week. I'm not sure there's a real benefit for me in resting. I'm not sure there's a real benefit for me living out this rhythm. I'm not sure there's a benefit in delighting in something. I'm not sure there's a benefit in resting and anticipating something greater to come. You see, we always seek for rest. We just do it through various forms of unbelief. Get it? We're always searching for rest. We just want it through different ways we express our unbelief. It can be through our work, it can be through our families, it can be through our financial desires, it can be through trying to get approval from someone. We're always seeking rest, always. I'll try to give you an example. Pulled up two, uh, pulled up two people that are rather famous, so they're the same kind of category, if you will. Uh, one is Madonna, the other is Daryl Green. If you don't know them, don't care. Just kidding. You can find out about them. But I realize you might not know them off the top of your head. This is what Madonna said a number of years ago. The driving force in my life is the horrific fear that I will be mediocre. Here's Daryl Green. Madonna was a pop superstar, still is to some extent. Daryl Green was an NFL player that went to the Hall of Fame. So elite of elite of elite. And in Daryl Green's Hall of Fame speech, he said this. Today is the continuation of God's sovereign plan for my life. Then he went on to say, I belong here because I know what to do with God's name, with God's money, and with God's relationships. You see, on one hand, there's one that is living to justify their existence, and the other The other is not defined by their work or accomplishments. The one has no idea who they are. No idea who they are. What drives me is the horror of mediocrity. The other, 
understands that they're part of a much bigger plan and belong, actually belong to someone who is in control. One, never enough. Can you hear it? Never enough. I have to keep going and grinding and going and grinding and competing because I'm terrified of mediocrity. How are you going to know if you're not mediocre in your life? If you live comparing yourself to everyone all the time, trying to get better than the next person, make sure you're better than them. To keep climbing, climbing, climbing. One, it's never enough. The other, the other is worshiping while working. Worshiping while working. Amazing. One is always earning, right? Always earning. Thinking about merit, thinking about my rights, thinking about what I get, thinking about what I earn. The other, rest. Their heart is at rest. The other, no rest. No rest. You see, one understands that all is gift. All is gift. I know what to do with the responsibilities I have because I don't deserve it. I know what to do with my money and my resources because it doesn't belong to me. I know what to do with my family because they're on loan from God. I know what to do in moments where I'm being praised and honored for things that I've accomplished, I don't put all my weight in it. My value isn't in it. My ultimate value isn't in it. Because God is the main thing in my life. Do you see? Beloved, there's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with growing your skills and sharpening your skills and adding new skills. There's nothing wrong with a good work ethic. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing wrong with wanting to gain some financial security. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with enjoying making money. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with good old-fashioned competition. The struggle is, why are we doing it? Why? Everyone needs to work to live. All of us have competition all the time. All of us are required to work hard, but why are we doing anything? Why are we doing everything? Do you see? We're all searching for rest. We just try to find it through various expressions of unbelief because we love to trust ourselves and depend upon ourselves. We love to think that we can make it happen until things come into our lives and make us realize we can't. And man, we fight against that too, don't we? Rest is about relationship. We're all searching for rest. Let's look at the third thing, the process of rest. 
Do you notice in verse 12 and 13 is all about God's word? Do you notice that? Here's what it says about God's word. God's word is living. The word of God, the Bible, is not a dead, dry document. It is alive. And when we read the Bible and think we get nothing out of it, which I have done many times, the problem is not with the word of God. That is an indication of what's going on in me. The word of God is living. The word of God is active. It has power. There is energy in the word of God. It does stuff. It's living and it's active. And when it does stuff, what it does is found right there in the next phrase of verse 12. It is sharp. It cuts. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. In the first century, this is, very, this is a very specific analogy that the author is, is uh, illustrating this with. In, in the first century, um, in the Roman Empire, there was a special sword made that was shorter than the gigantic one that you often see. It's bigger than a knife, but it's not the battle sword. It's in between. And this sword was lighter, and it was sharper because you could move it around. You could be much more agile with it. And it was really, really deadly. And the author is saying, that's like the word of God. It cuts on both sides, and it's real sharp and real effective. It'll do what you need it to do. Actually, it'll do what it needs to do, whether you want it or not. It's living, it's active, it's sharp. And it's so sharp that look at the phrases that describe how sharp it is. It gets down into the bone and the marrow, physical. It gets down into thoughts and intentions of your heart, meaning all the stuff that we don't like to think about. And what it does, because it's so sharp, is that it exposes us before God. It renders us, look at the language in verse 12 and 13, naked. 100% exposed that to read the word of God means that we're reading a living document that has lots of energy and power and it cuts us deep and exposes us 100%, 100% exposed, completely open before God. Now, if you're here and you're thinking, you might wonder to yourself, what in the world does this have to do with what we're talking about? We're going to talk about rest. It's about relationship and that we're all seeking rest, um, oftentimes through unbelieving ways. So if we're thinking about we're all searching for rest, why in the world do we go to the Word of God? Great, you're thinking because this is it. Things got to get worse before they're going to get better. I can tell you that in my own life in a very practical way. When I got the diagnosis of my cancer, guess what? Things had to get worse before they could get better. There had to be some, I had to get cut on, you know? I had to go through the pain of being cut so that I could heal. Get it? The way that we move toward rest is for us to be cut. Things oftentimes get worse before they get better. 
for me to be diagnosed meant that I had to get cut on. Healing was on the other side of being cut. But there was no way to heal without being cut. Do you get it? So when the word of God comes into our lives, it exposes all of our unbelief. It exposes our selfishness. It exposes why we do anything and everything. It exposes everything. You see, the pathway to rest is through getting outside of ourselves. And the pathway to get outside of ourselves is to be exposed. Because in being exposed, we actually think about why we do anything and everything, and that exposes our unbelief and exposes thinking that we can find better something somewhere else from someone else or, my, or myself. And healing is on the other side of that cutting. Do you see how it fits? The word of God must cut. The word of God must open us up. The word of God must expose everything about us. We can't heal without it. Guess where Jesus meets us? Right in the areas where we get cut open and exposed. You do realize that Jesus was completely exposed before the world and a righteous God, right? You do realize on the cross that he was completely exposed. You do realize that he was pierced for our transgressions. You do realize that he was cut, don't you? You see, the very thing that gets exposed in our lives as rebellion against God and sin and selfishness and all the ways that we want to serve ourselves, that is the very place where Jesus meets us. Because he was cut open and exposed and pierced in our place. Rest is about relationship. We're all searching for rest. And the word of God opens us up and cuts us so that we realize Jesus is our rest. That's what brings us to the table. 